Hey, Shannon. Hey, Marcella. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Great. I just got back from Florida. And you know what's one thing that Florida has a lot of? I can think of a lot of things, but what are you thinking? <laughs> well, alligators, yeah, maybe hurricanes, but trees. Ah, yes. Did you see a lot of trees in your <laughs> Where were we going? <laughs> Like a lot of trees. Yes, that's cool. Cause on the show this week. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Got it, got it, got it. Okay, okay. I'm with you. I'm picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> I, I, I shouldn't know. I, wow, that, that was... was bad. But okay, we'll just. Do you have a black thumb? Are you wondering what the word horticulture means? Are you a little bit seedy? A little shady? Do you stand in the garden and wonder what the f am I doing? Do you look at people's yards and wonder, what the f*** are they doing? If so, this podcast is for you, no matter your gardening experience level. I'm Shannon. And I'm Marcella, two friends who like to laugh and learn our way through life and gardening. Tune in as we interview some awesome people who talk to us about their love for plants, trees, gardens, bugs, and more. Welcome to CD and Shady AF, a sketchy gardening podcast. Hey, Shannon. Hey, Marcella. Do you know what an arborist is? I think most people know what Arbor Day is. Do you know what that is? Isn't that the day when you're supposed to like hug a tree? I think that every day should be the day you hug a tree, but tell us what's on the show today. So today on the show, we have Gabriel Torres from Bear Nature Tree Surgeons, and he's going to be talking to us all about trees and the value that they play in gardens. Prior to this episode, I hadn't really thought about trees as an integral part of gardens. So I learned a lot from this. I didn't even know there was an arborist before I talked to Gabriel and it was wonderful. Um, I only know about Arbor Day because uh, here in San Antonio, they give away trees on Arbor Day. And that was the day that I got my lime tree that subsequently did not make it. But on the show today, it's going to be great. We're going to talk about trees and everything about climbing trees and fighting wildfires and all the stuff that Marcel and I are really bad at. Absolutely not great. Including growing trees, apparently. Yes. Yeah, so hopefully you guys all learn as much as we did. Enjoy. So the first thing we really want to know is if you could tell us what an arborist is. Tell us and our audience what an arborist is and what 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 that um, field does. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, so, and this is very good that you're asking this question because most people actually don't know what an arborist is. So it's very good to get the word out. Um, but an arborist is a professional who through education and experience, uh, we will assess, we can prescribe, and then we'll provide a management plan, both for like an individual tree and also for an entire property. And then uh, this is usually tied to the urban setting. Uh, so like, as opposed to like a forester or a municipal forester where they're dealing with the entire city. Okay. Well, that's really good to know because I did not know that there was even a person called a municipal forester, but it's sounds really awesome. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And, and there's, you know, so there's uh, professionals who manage trees and now it's basically up to if it's an urban setting or if it's out in a forest, like out west or something like that, or in Virginia, like in a national forest, then mm -hmm. there's like the city municipal arborist who's in charge of like, uh, like all the trees throughout the city on the, um, next to the sidewalks, on the streets and parking lots and stuff like that. And then uh, an arborist like myself would be more of a residential slash commercial type where we get contracted uh, for residential and commercial jobs. 
Mm -hmm. Okay. That's awesome. So Gabriel, how did you become an arborist? Like, did you wake up one morning and as a five-year-old and say, I want to be an arborist? How did that journey? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I didn't. Uh, so I, uh, it's, it all started uh, when I was in college, actually. I went to New Mexico State University where I got a degree in wildlife science, actually. And uh, when I was a sophomore, I started working for the Forest Service and mm -hmm. I started in Montana. Um, doing that, I was a forestry technician and a wildland firefighter. And uh, as that progressed, I, I was there for five years. And as that progressed, I just kind of developed a bigger and bigger appreciation for um, just our natural world. Uh, but I mean, trees of a course, part of it, it didn't necessarily start with trees, you know, it was all related, you know, for me, it was just being in nature, the watching the deer, the elk and backpacking to the mountains. And I just really started. And then with my degree that was related to that, it kind of just showed me the the need that there is for people in that field, just in, in, in conservation in general, and how big, you know, uh, they're well, also in the dire need that uh, the, the planet is in for people that uh, try to help help it in that kind of way. So um, and then, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, as time progressed, having that career was pretty strenuous, because I had to move around a lot. And eventually my wife wanted to move closer to her family in San Antonio. Um, and that so we decided to move to San Antonio. And I kind of transferred all my knowledge and experience over to the city life. And uh, I became an, a city arborist. <laughs> yeah. So I'm wondering, like you mentioned initially majoring in wildlife, you said mm -hmm. when you originally went to college. So what were you planning to do with that initially? You know, I think uh, I didn't really know too much what I was, okay. where I was headed with that. I just knew that I enjoyed being outdoors and uh, it was just one of the um, degrees that was offered at that particular college. Like if I was, or, or at the university, if I was like uh, in a different one where they had forestry, I probably would have chosen forestry. That's really what I wanted to go for. Um, but in this particular, because it's more of a desert environment, they offer rangeland science and then wildlife was just part of it. But no, it was just a, a way for me to be able to get uh, get outdoors and do a job outside. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, to be honest. And uh, I think that's just the case with every 18 year old that goes to college. You're not really sure what you're doing. <laughs> That's, that's really neat hearing about all those different options. Um, I think yeah. we had a couple of questions later on about how can someone become an, a certified arborist. But before we get into that, um, so what kind of services does an arborist offer? So you're in San Antonio doing kind of the urban type of mm -hmm. uh, services. What kind of services would you offer someone? Yeah, so it depends what kind of arborist you are, of course. But um, as a typical arborist like myself, uh, we do we will assess a, uh, a property. So we get called over to diagnose a, a particular tree, if it's diseased or has a pest, or maybe there's some structural concerns um, with its structural integrity. We will get called over to, first of all, assess the tree, and then we will give our um, recommendations based on what we see. And then from there, you know, if it's an arborist that does, uh, that they do the work as well. Um, like for me, I work for Bear Nature Tree Surgeons. Uh, so we also do the, the, we offer the service ourselves. So at that point, I would assess a tree, uh, give them my recommendations, and then I would write a prescription and uh, uh, estimate basically on the work. And then I hand that over to the client. And at that point, you know, they decide uh, what parts they want to follow, if any, or they want to follow all of it. Um, and then, uh, but yeah, usually it's going to be related to pruning, tree removals, uh, plant health care, like uh, de doing deep root fertilizing. Um, there's air excavation where you can uh, excavate with an air tool, the root flare for uh, healthier root systems, you know, and that's a big issue in, in city trees, but um, it, it's quite a big range of list of services. Uh, so 
but those are the general ones, of course, that most people would know about. Very cool. Marcella, did you know that trees can get prescriptions written for them? I had no idea. Yeah, that's knowledge for me. Yeah, yeah. that's new for me. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, there's all sorts of things. I mean, you can do trunk injections. You can, uh, like I said, you do air excavation. There's foliar sprays. It can get pretty intensive. Definitely, like a lot of the time I get asked, uh, why, why, why are you, or what is a tree surgeon? I'm like, well, we're a doctor basically for trees. We will prescribe and, you know, uh, and and follow through with that as well. So yeah, it's, it's pretty different than what most people know. Yeah. And I would imagine there's so much that so much education that probably goes along with, with the work you do, like so much normalization and letting, helping people understand, um, you know, why you're recommending, why you're, what you're recommending and knowing what to look out for and things like that, which we'll definitely ask some questions about that later on in the interview. Um, okay. But the next, the next um, question we had was, how does someone become a, a certified arborist? What are the requirements sure. to do that? So to actually become a certified arborist, uh, you do not need a degree or anything of that sort. You have to have three years of experience. And at that point, you can apply to take the test. And uh, if you pass a test, I believe with a 70% or higher, then you can become a certified arborist. Or you can have a combination of education and experience and then take your test and become a certified arborist. Of course, I think if you have a degree to back that up, it just kind of helps you get in that direction quicker I, um, with the experience and the combination. But yeah. So if you were a kid um, coming straight out of high school and you really loved this, you could do like OJT at a company. That's how you could gain experience as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Exactly. So yeah, you, you could uh, come out of college, uh, get some experience and then apply for your test and yeah, if you have a combination, say like a year and some college or yeah, some combination of that sort, yeah, you could take the test. And and that's the thing, uh, really, it, it's not too difficult to become a certified arborist. At least I don't think so. Um, but I, I think we also need to do a little bit of work on that end to try to lift the bar a little bit because there's a lot of... Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people out there that they they obtain a certification, but they still don't follow uh, proper work practices, and uh, maybe they prescribe a lot of things that don't need to be prescribed, and actually could harm environment like uh, pesticides and uh, herbicides and stuff like that. So I think that when we have the right people in the right places, it's really beneficial to the trees and everything around. But uh, we got to make sure that we keep the right people in those places. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, it seems like it's accessible, but to some degree, there need that you want there to be some standardization, of course. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. And okay. so Gabriel, thank you for that. I had a question. What's the difference between an arborist and a landscaper? Yeah, so that's a really good question. And then uh, there's unfortunately, in my opinion, I think there's a lot of overlap, especially in certain cities. Like uh, we're in, in Texas and in, in the San Antonio area and uh, landscapers do awesome work, but it, it is a different job as an arborist and our trees are shorter in Texas. So there is a lot of accessibility, I guess, that people can do from the ground when if you were maybe like in the West or in the East, the trees are a lot taller. So it requires mm -hmm. an arborist uh, with the proper training and experience to get up into the trees where here uh, there's a lot of overlap in the jobs. Um, and I, I'm not you know, saying that they do bad work, but, but they're very specialized in what they do, which is the maintenance. The landscape, mm -hmm. a landscape would be uh, specialized in the maintenance of your garden, whether it's your yard, maybe your shrubs, your small plants and tying it all in. Um, a lot of the time that's usually based with like an aesthetic eye or with, with the emphasis on aesthetics. Mm -hmm. um, as an arborist, it's more of very specialized with the tree. Um, we can you know put a whole picture together to have a healthy environment if you have a healthy soil and stuff like that. But really what we focus on is like that either your one tree that we're looking at or all the trees in your yard. And how do we make sure that we have those that we... Um, 
maintain those and prune them properly in order to have them for the long term. You know, we have, I guess, uh, an arborist has a long term plan in mind when uh, usually landscapers are more in, of an immediate maintenance and uh, aesthetic type of a point of view. Um, and it's really, they're both valuable work, but we need to try to make uh, separate those. And uh, really, I guess having more regulations in place would be appropriate in order to have, you know, arborists do arborist work and landscapers do landscaping work. So everything's bigger in Texas, except for the trees, which are shorter. Exactly. <laughs> and, and there is the exceptions. I mean, there are some pretty big live oaks. There's some pretty big bald cypress and cottonwoods out by, by the river. But uh, but yeah, as a general rule of thumb, I think that's true. <laughs> I just remember when I was in San Antonio, now that you say that, Shannon, um, there is a beautiful park that's down by the river walk. And there are these massive trees that you can tell have been there for forever just big giant trunks and the the branches are you can actually like sit on them and they're I remember that being like one of my favorite places when I was there yeah. um I think that might yeah. be Breckenridge Park but that, yes. yeah that's a pretty good yeah, cool park yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 absolutely yeah. so um one uh, you know you've mentioned you've kind of alluded to your experience quite a bit so far um and one of the things that your bio mentioned um was that you briefly you well you worked for the Department of Agriculture um, as part of your, as you were building your, your experience. So, um, one of the things we wanted to know were, what were your biggest takeaways from your time with, with that agency? Um, it was, uh, to be honest, a really, really good time in my career. I really enjoyed working for the Department of Ag Agriculture with the Forest Service. My main takeaways is that there is a lot of room for growth and conservation. I think that it's a very new field. We've, We've come a long ways from the early 1900s when our main focus was cutting down as many trees as possible as quickly as possible to make a profit. And I think as time has gone on, we've realized, unfortunately, because uh, where we pushed our planet into, we, we realized that we have done things wrong. And now there is a big movement towards doing things properly and conserving our forest and urban you know urban forests to our trees in general even specifically individual trees but uh there's just a lot of room for improvement and i think there is a big movement going that way and i know that i want to be a part of it and i think that was just the main takeaway was that i know which direction i want to go and uh, they they led the way uh for me in that in that manner that's a that's a great answer and that's a great uh question that you had marcella i know i want to mention you also mentioned that you had spent some time as a wild land firefighter can you talk about that experience a little bit yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so that was actually uh, when I was at that point in my career, I did both timber and then I did wildland firefighting. And the wildland firefighting was kind of like an escape because you we would just go into the woods for 14 days in a uh, in a row. We'd camp out and just, you know, sleep along the fire and everything. And it was very it was very hard work, but very liberating at the same time, just hiking all day and just doing, you know, manual work. There wasn't a whole lot. I mean, you have to think of the the fire movement and things like that, but you're just basically in your own world, you know, con containing the fire. But yeah, and then when I would go back to the office, there was a lot more science involved in what I did as a forestry technician. So it was two different sides of it that both had mm -hmm. kind of the, the same goal, I guess, in mind. But the firefighting was very much hands-on, pretty labor-intensive. When, when I went back as a forestry technician, it would be more survey-related and science-based. So it was really cool doing both at the same time. <laughs> Sounds like you got the best of both worlds. I'll be honest with you, you did lose me at camping, um, but it did sound like very rewarding work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. It was such a good time. Yeah, I just really enjoyed the whole adrenaline part of it too. I mean, that's also part of why I'm an arborist. I 
uh, I love climbing trees. So I think uh, that I, I have to have both of that uh, intellectual side and then also the physical that gets your heart racing type of work. So <laughs> that it's a good yeah. mixture. No, that sounds amazing. I think that Marcella and I, I don't know how well we climb trees. Yeah. You know, the kind of main topic of our podcast and what brings all of this together is the gardening piece. So something else that we really wanted to know was what role do healthy trees play in a healthy garden? That's a really good question because that's one thing that uh, I tried to educate as much on as possible that it's organisms are not individual. A tree is not individual. Uh, Most organisms just do better in communities. Humans do, trees do, uh, plants do, everything does better in communities. So if you have a healthy environment, let's say it's your backyard and you're a gardener, if you have have a healthy environment as a whole, your garden and your plants are going to be a lot healthier. If, you know, the, the tree might provide some, some shading, some, uh, some infiltrated sunlight, things like that that are going to benefit your garden, maybe more indirectly, but then also as we begin to have those connections between the root system of the tree with you know your shrubs and your and your backyard with maybe some other ornamental trees and overall you're going to have a healthy soil which and then your garden is going to be able to take advantage of like mycorrhizal network which is like fungal networks in the soil because it's all connected through the fungal network the trees the, the shrubs your your garden so if you have a sterile soil on the other hand with your garden in there it's going to be a very harsh environment with maybe too much sun, especially in Texas. Maybe you're going to have too much sun. Maybe you're going to have an inert soil. Uh, so having the healthy tree is a good start, but having just a healthy environment for all of those plants together uh, is really the main important thing, I think, in my mind. Hi there. Seed in the Shade here with some interesting facts about the relationship between plants and mushrooms. When most of us think of fungus, we imagine mushrooms sprouting out of the ground. Those mushrooms are in fact the fruit of the fungus, while the majority of the fungal organism lives in the soil interwoven with tree roots as a vast network of mycelia. Mycelia are incredibly tiny threads of the greater fungal organism that wrap around or bore into tree roots. Taken together, mycelia and roots compose what's called a mycorrhizal network, which connects individual plants together to transfer water, nitrogen, carbon, and other minerals. This can be thought of as a form of communication. So, next time you're walking through the forest, think of how the plants are talking to each other over the fiber optic cables of what German forester Peter Wolleben called the wood wide web. Yes, it's really interesting we're talking about uh, things that live in, you know, in communities and how everything kind of ties together. And so if I have a, a garden in my backyard and I want to add trees, and so, so maybe it's a space where I have no trees, how can I, as a home gardener, pick the right tree for my yard? Yeah, definitely. So the most important first step of it all is to know your location. Know your location, which ties into knowing your soil. If you know your soil type and the area then you can know what are the native trees that grow there because I always recommend planting native trees. That's the main takeaway. You know, if you put enough energy into growing any type of tree, or you, it's possible. It's just going to require a lot more uh, time and energy. So first of all, know what location you're in and your soil type, and then know what trees are native to that area. Um, like in this area, just as a general tree, like a live oak and a cedar elm would do awesome because they're native and they're drought tolerant, uh, freeze tolerant Mm -hmm. to at least the temperatures that we have here in San Antonio. So that would be the first step would be what is native to your area and then going from there. And then based on that, 
then now you can pinpoint more of, do you want a deciduous tree or do you want an evergreen tree? Do you want a tree that grows very tall and uniform or one that's low and wide spreading? So from there, we can really narrow it down and pinpoint it. But um, yeah, at that point, maybe you can consult with uh, experts. Uh, nursery people are really uh, knowledgeable in that area as well, or arborist. Gotcha. That makes sense. And I would imagine some patience is also, you know, indicated I, with anything that we do in gardening, but particularly with planting trees, because how, about how long would you say it takes to really see root of what you do? Yeah, yeah, certainly. Yeah, it's not, there is no immediate gratification. Uh, when we plant trees, it, it's not for us, it's for the people in the future, really, because I mean, we might have a, a young tree to look at and during our lifetime, but it's not going to be anything that rewarding compared to a hundred years from now when somebody sits under this majestic, big, beautiful tree. So that, that's what we really need to get that uh, stewardship word out there. So like, let's, let's do what's right. Maybe not necessarily just for us, but for all the other people in the future too. <laughs> no, I think that that's a beautiful point because you have these small trees and you kind of only going to see a little bit of their life, but they're definitely so important for, you know, generations of people that, you know, are going to come after us. And so speaking of that, what do you think might be some major challenges or threats to trees in general right now? Um, yeah, that, that's a pretty easy one. Uh, it's us humans. <laughs> we're, we're definitely a big, big threat. Uh, and it's, it's not necessarily that we're all evil or have bad intentions. It's just the culture that has happened over you know the past hundred years that we are consumerist we want to you know uh, just have all these resources easily accessible and everything but we have to have a balance uh it, it's okay for us to use resources but we also have to have a balance and and replant and maintain them and maybe not bother the really old you know beautiful heritage trees but um uh, that that's the definitely their main threat as us humans but as, you know the more that we do this what we're doing right now and try to get the word out maybe uh more people will begin to to see why why it's so important that makes sense and so kind of going along with that question what are the factors to consider in the planting and, and maintenance of trees how can we best take care of the ones that we have yeah, so if it's if we're talking about existing trees already, there's there's one main thing that's really causing a lot of issues throughout the city um, when it comes to the health of trees, and it's uh, overbearing of the trunk flare. So trunks, all trees have a straight trunk, and then as they get to the base, they flare out, and you should see that flaring out, and and that's how you can tell that that that's a first step in a tree assessment. Is is that flare visible? At least that's what I first look at when I work walk on site. What happens when those flares get buried and it happens with over mulching, which is a huge issue. Um, and once again, it's a lot of landscapers doing it, unfortunately, but it's just because there's not that ed education out there, but over mulching is a big issue. Or also when we have this commercial buildings come up, usually the grade gets either raised or lowered and the, the flares get buried. But what that happens is that it creates an environment where there's no, no oxygen anymore. And then the tree will suffocate at the base um, roots will grow up to that upper portion of soil. And then usually that causes a tree to fall over because now there's fungal growth. There's a weak anaerobic uh, condition. So I've been seeing a lot of really, really big old trees falling over. And it's not that it happened, you know, overnight, the issues or anything like that. It's, it's been 60 years or 50 years or 30 years of the tree being under those conditions. And eventually, you know, but that's why we're losing so many trees at such a fast rate even young trees and landscapes. Um, that's definitely a big issue is just burying the, the trunk. So uh, never plant something too deep. <laughs> plant If you plant it shallow, uh, more likely to thrive for sure. <laughs> so is there, in, in the situation that you just um, spoke about, Gabriel, uh, is there a way you can save those trees when they have, they've been, you know, this has been building up for 60, 70 years. 
do they just fall over or is there something you can do to save those trees? There, if we catch it in time, there is. And, and that's why we need to get a arborist out to assess these trees, you know, at least calling them over and just, you know, take a look at the tree and see what you have. But, uh, but yeah, if it gets caught early enough, you can do air excavation. Um, so having a big air compressor with a big air tool, it's like a six foot gun, but basically it just blows out all the soil away from the root system. Not all of it, but of course, where we're in, in the area where you want it. Um, and that doesn't harm the roots at all because it's compressed air. The air will get into the soil and blow the soil apart. Um, so it doesn't damage the roots. And at that point, you can lower the grade to try to get to that flare again, or at least you're, you can uh, incorporate more air porosity into that soil, maybe uh, um, reduce the compaction and things like that. So yeah, there is tools, but um, it takes calling a professional over for, for you to know that. So that, that that's important. I wonder how many people like know to to do that, to call an arborist. because Most people you know, don't. Yeah. And yeah. that's why I'm really happy that we're doing this because we need to really get that word out of, you know, call arborists, at least you'd look at your trees. And if anything, I really enjoy just showing up to a property and just going around walking with the client and looking at their trees and just telling, I just tell them about what there is, you know, this is this type of tree and this has maybe a gall or um, the, here's a canker over here. I just think it's really fascinating. And most people do as well, but it usually takes somebody to point it out for them to be like, oh, yeah, that's that's really cool. So I thought trees were cool before we spoke, but now like I'm so fascinated by everything that you do. <laughs> yeah. So I'm also glad that we're doing this. You know, and speaking of that, can you talk a little bit as an arborist? What's the most complicated job you've ever been called on? The most complicated job that I guess that would be removals. Removals take a lot of strength physically, mentally, planning wise, but there was a cottonwood that I removed that was uh, right along Lake McQueenie, probably like 80, 90 feet tall, and it had decay at the base uh, due to beaver damage. So it was pretty complex. Uh, everything had to be roped down because there was uh, um, structures underneath it. So, you know, it takes a lot of uh, mental strength, first of all, to be 80 feet in the air, taking 20 foot limbs, you know, on a rope while you're on a rope just, you know, the amount of physical strain also of getting all that brush out and the logs. I mean, it was probably a three foot diameter log, you know, and, and that was probably like a 40 foot trunk. So uh, tall. So it, it was a pretty big tree. It was really fun. It's probably the, the most fun I've had doing a removal, but it definitely required a lot of strain, both mentally and physically. Sure. <laughs> there you go. Beavers always. Yeah. <laughs> Beaver damage will cause the tree to decay. <laughs> Another threat to our trees. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, this is more of a, a fun question, but have you ever trimmed a tree into the shape of a swan or a large seal? Because that sounds amazing. <laughs> I have. I, not not oh. particularly. Well, not particularly either of those shapes, but I have done some some ovals, some circles, maybe some stuff like that. Typically, that's more with like uh, shrubs. I think that's more common. Honestly, I feel a little bad when I do that to a tree. Um, and it, I tried to recommend not doing that, but in the end, it's the client's tree. If they really want it done, it's their tree. But I just think I, I try to mimic nature as much as I can and, yeah. and, and it's natural processes. So if uh, a tree has a certain structure, I try to promote that structure and go with that. But yeah, yeah, certain ornamental shrubs, like maybe a yaupon holly and stuff like that, those are definitely cultivated to to do those types of things. So I all feel a lot better doing that to a maybe yaupon holly shrub here. <laughs> <laughs> and so we talked about it a little bit before, but like how much climbing does it actually, does it involve your job? Because it seems like you do a lot of climbing and you're super, super high. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think it depends for arborist to arborist. Uh, myself, I still do 
a lot or most of the climbing <laughs> with bare nature. So there's plenty of us climbers, but uh, some arborists only do consultations. Some arborists only do sales. I do a little bit of everything. So I get to climb. I climb maybe three, four, five times a week. <laughs> so uh, I think it wow. keeps me young and, it, and it's pretty, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I enjoy it. it. It's a really rewarding job. What kind of equipment is involved in your in your climbing? Like how do you stay safe up there? Yeah, so that's really the a big all part of uh of being an arborist also it's it can be a very dangerous job if it's not done properly and following the proper safety equipment because you see so many people out there in trees not wearing hard hats sometimes not even wearing a harness or a rope it can be very dangerous when you're doing it that way all the per personal protection equipment they use that's to mitigate all those hazardous conditions right and once you follow all those precautions Typically, your hazard level is pretty low at that point. So what that is, usually it's your hard hat. Um, if you're going to climb a tree, that's going to tell your hard hat, your harness. You have a primary rope, which is a really long rope that you can access to the very top of the tree, to the very bottom, in a, so you can come down in, a, in an emergency. And then you have typically a secondary rope, or it's called a flip line also. And uh, when you use, you know, sharp uh, tools in the tree, like a chainsaw or a handsaw, you can use your secondary rope. If you're using a chainsaw, you should be using two ropes at all times, um, your secondary and your primary. But basically, when you follow all of those, when you use all of that uh, PPE along with a proper tree inspection, you can minimize the hazard to almost none to where you there should be no incidents. But, um, but it's important to follow those two things, so PPE and also assess your tree properly. So this is like a PSA, a public service announcement. People, dear listeners, call an arborist. Do not get up in your tree. <laughs> You do not Don't be climbing those trees. You do not know what you're doing. And so as an arborist, what board game do you most identify with? Shoots and ladders or clue? Because shoots and ladders because I feel like you're on ladders and clue yeah. because you're trying to figure out what's wrong with plants. So. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. I think I'm gonna have to go with shoots and ladders because. Um, you know, sometimes you use a ladder to get to the top of the tree and then you put your rope in. And then when you're done with your work, I'll just, you know, repel out of the tree really, really quickly, which not technically <laughs> supposed to do because your rope might get a little hot. But uh, at that point, you're coming down the chute, basically. And that part is really fun, repelling out of a tree. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds yeah. awesome. Although I would yeah. be screaming. You just hear like a yell going down <laughs> as I am from the tree. <laughs> Sometimes I'll do it too. <laughs> And so what, what would you say is the tree that you identify the most with and why? That's a hard question. There is a, there's so many trees that I really love, but uh, if I had to pick one though, I guess I would go, if we're speaking about the San Antonio area, I would go with a uh, bald cypress. Um, mm -hmm. I think bald cypress are just really, really majestic trees and they occupy um, really not the ideal condition. So they, they usually live where there is very low oxygen levels. That's why you see them growing out of water or in swamps or you can plant them you know, along sidewalks in the city because of compaction and low oxygen levels. So I think that's a really just cool tree to identify with. Uh, they're just really resilient. And uh, I guess I strive to be like a bald cypress. <laughs> I love that. I think right now, because it's so cold right, right now, um, I identify with a palm tree. Oh yeah. They're in warm environments. <laughs> that's right. where I'm trying and to be right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can see oh. that. <laughs> Yeah. And which of these songs about trees best describes your um, your style, your arborist style? So we have Money Trees by Kendrick Lamar, A Forest by The Cure, or Fake Plastic Trees by Radiohead. 
I guess I'll go with fake plastic trees by Radiohead. I, I had to do I had to do a little bit of homework for this question because I, <laughs> I had only heard of Money Trees by Kendrick Lamar and I was like, well, it can't be that one. <laughs> um, so I'll go with Radiohead. Uh, we are doing the Lord's work, putting Radiohead out there in the world where it needs to be because I love that band. So I'm glad to hear you did some research. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. I agree. So, so Gabriel, do you do any other type of gardening activities other than just being, you know, arborist and with trees? Do you have a garden at all? I do. I do have a garden and uh, I would like to spend more time in my garden and <laughs> I would like to have more knowledge about my garden as well. But like most of my experience came from forestry and uh, yeah, things like that related to that forest out west. So I don't have a whole lot of knowledge when it comes to garden plants like vegetable gardens and and things like that. So it's really beneficial for me, even when I meet with people like you guys or people that are master naturalists or gardeners and things like that, because they actually educate me as well, um, because I do need more local knowledge when it comes to that. I, I guess I just don't have enough knowledge about garden plants, and I really want to know more about them. But, you know, I'm learning as I go. I learned when I built my garden, I did not think about the sunlight very well. And now I know that. <laughs> 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 well, that's that's interesting because, you know, yeah, exactly. So much about gardening is just, you know, trial and error and just got getting things wrong, you know. But if you want to learn more about gardening, we know a podcast. Yeah. That's really good. <laughs> so stay tuned. So stay tuned. I will, definitely. Um, but it does sound like you play a super important role in gardening already, just with everything you do um, for conservation and educating about trees. And so I'm wondering, how can listeners get more involved with helping to save trees in their communities? I think the most important takeaway in my mind is to just be good stewards to your environment. And like that kind of encompasses everything, being good stewards to the trees, to the forest, to the land. That also comes with being a gardener, because when you do that, you have a smaller carbon footprint. You're feeding yourself in a more sustainable way and healthier way as well. So I think just being a good steward to our environment is the main thing that we should all strive to do um, in order to, I think for us to live healthier and as well as have a healthier environment for us and for our children in the future. So um, yeah, definitely keep gardening and uh, love the trees and the wildlife and <laughs> spread the love, definitely. Oh, spread the love. See, I love that. And I am gonna go out and hug every one of my plants. I do that anyway, but I'm gonna go out <laughs> and especially hug them really tight today. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so Gabriel, where can listeners follow you? So we have a Facebook, we have a Google uh, account, and we also have a website, barenaturetree.com. Uh, you can follow us on there. We're also gearing up to maybe put together a YouTube channel where we can uh, show a lot of the GoPro footage of us climbing and a lot of the educational content as well, where, you know, we'll go over air excavation or uh, diseases and pests. So um, yeah, just look us up, barenaturetree.com on Google, Facebook, and, uh, and the, just on our website. Thank you. And so we're going to put all that information in the show notes. And so definitely when you when you have the, the YouTube channel, I'm going to be watching you up in a tree because that's you found, you're living my life that I'm too afraid to live. So, you know, I live vicariously through you. So, oh. yes, thank you. Thank you very much, Gabriel, for being on the show with Marcella and I today. Thank you. Of we course. learned a ton. We did. You're very welcome. Yes. And, and thank you. I, I really enjoyed being uh, on the show and talking to you guys. I look forward to what you're doing and uh, I commend you on that. This is something that we really need and I uh, wish you all the best of luck. This has been the Seedy and Shady AF podcast. Thanks to all the peas in our pod for listening. We believe in you and we believe in your plants. 
Follow us for more shenanigans on Instagram at Seedy and Shady Pod. Until next time, stay seedy, stay shady. And remember, sketchy gardening is still gardening. <laughs>